Welcome to the Fair Chase Podcast. It's like, yeah, it's going to be physically it's hard, suck, but it's also like the best. Later on, that's the story you tell. I got a new strategy. It's, you just go kind of lick your finger a little bit like this. Aim high, play the wind. And then you aim high, you play the wind. It's a new aiming technique that I'm working on. You brought this up. Yeah. It's because you had target panic so bad. Yeah, I didn't have it so bad. Before we jump into this episode, we have to thank a few companies that make this show possible. First up, Vortex Optics. We run their binoculars, spotting scopes, and uh, a lot of their clothes in their Vortex wear line. Quality hoodies. sweaters and hoodies, t-shirts, hats. Yep. You uh, can save yourself 20% on that stuff. Buy. Ooh, it's a new code. The code TFC20. Check them out. Next up, Trophy Line. Trophy Line. No secret, we are saddle guys. We like to hunt in saddles, make the jokes if you want, but yep. they're super light, super effective, and we're big fans of Trophy Line. This year we're going to be running the Mission Platform or the EDP Platform, the EDP. depending, and uh, running the Covert Light. Yeah, nice and light saddle. Lots of good adjustability on that. I feel comfortable walking with that thing out in the woods. Go yep. check this thing out. Use the code TFC10 to save yourself 10% on the next purchase. Next up, Prime. The bow that got me to switch back. I think I feel like I got you to switch back. You did, but but I like. But it was it's a big because part. of Prime shootability, shooting your bow, their accuracy. Uh, we're big fans of Prime. They're Michigan company. Jared's shooting the Nexus Four. I'm shooting the Nexus Two this year. Go check them out. G5Prime.com. We uh, we're big GPS map users on our phone. Um, I get tend to get lost a lot, and Jared you do tend to get lost. A lot. Jared can't always be next to me. When you don't have Jared with you, you can have a little Jared in your pocket. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> this is an awesome platform. We know the guys. They're local here in Grand Rapids. And you can actually download other apps, stand locations, plot locations, whatever pins that you have, you can download them onto the HuntWise platform. So you're not, you can, give you it just, a try. You can just hit the ground. And you're not losing your research. Yeah. So go check this app out, HuntWise.com. You know, I was actually asked this weekend if we weren't partnered with Vector and like I had to shoot a different arrow would I shoot vectors? Oh, yeah, for sure. And I said, yes, of course. Yeah. I love them. I shoot extremely accurate with them. I've never broken one. Yeah. And the sweet thing was is you pretty much just tell Isaac and the guys over there your draw length, draw weight, and I think your tip weight. Your tip weight, and they have a – And then you customize the whole thing. And you they can do it right tip, online. cut, and everything. You don't have to mess with the bow shop or anything like that. Check these guys out, vectorcustomshop.com. For 10% off your order at checkout, use TFC10. Good luck out there. Shoot straight. Welcome to another episode of the Fair Chase podcast uh, today. I say this every every week, but I do have a very special guest. Every every guest is special, but Andrew, you're you're also special. I guess <laughs> that makes no one special then. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Well, I'm, I'm glad to be here and thanks for making time for me. Yeah, absolutely. I, I feel like I remember growing up, teachers would say that like, you're special, you're special. And it's like, well, are we really special then if everybody is, you know, isn't that what makes special? Like there's only a few people that are. Right. So. Yeah. Special has become like so standardized that everyone's special. So really no one's special. Is that why millennials are soft? Is that why we're all kind of, I'm not, I'm pretty hard not to brag, but <laughs> yeah, I think, I think that's, um, a function of that and like everybody gets a trophy everybody's yeah. special kind of mentality yeah yeah you know what um, though when you go hunting not everybody gets a trophy so it's like the great equalizer it it is yeah yeah there's uh there's no like real second place in hunting right you're like either got it done or you yeah, didn't not not right. that not that not getting it done is not is a failure but um you know there's there's no uh reward really for 
second place. Yeah, that's right. Well, hey, uh, before we jump into things, you want to introduce who you are and what you do? Yeah, sure. Uh, so I'm Andrew Whitney. Uh, I live in Bozeman, Montana. I work at Stone Glacier. Uh, I'm the outside sales manager there. So I deal with all of our retail partners um, and the sales side of that, as well as like order fulfillment um, among a bunch of other hats that we all wear at the company. So we're, it's an interesting company. We're, we're like a big, small company, right? So like right. our shop right now is pretty small and um, I don't, I don't want to say underwhelming, but I think a lot of people come there uh, with this mentality that we're like larger than life. You right. know, it was like a couple of guys in the office trying to make this whole thing work. Yeah, sure. No, I've, I've driven by your office uh, a few times driving through Bozeman. I'm, I'm in Michigan, uh, but we go west quite a bit. So I always peek around, see what you guys are up to. Uh, but sure. I never stopped. I feel like the, the time that I need to stop in is when I shoot something because you guys do the thing where you stop by the office, you hold up the antlers or whatever, and you get, you know, the, the growler, yeah. right? Yeah, absolutely. I feel like that's got to be my first time I stop by. Otherwise, you know, it's not the same. You've, you've been at Stone Glacier a while. How long have you been there? Yeah. So I started back, I met Kurt, I think it was 2012, uh, and almost immediately started helping him. Okay. And basically what that looked like back in the day was assembling packs, right? So like he, we still actually use the same manufacturer. Obviously we've scaled way up since then. Uh, but you know, we'd build five packs a week or something in our garage. Uh, so it was like very, very small scale, but I, I saw the light, like when, when I first met Kurt and got engaged with him and the products, um, I was pretty darn sure that this is the direction that company was headed. Right. So, uh, I've been there full time for, I want to say four, five years now. Okay. Yeah, excellent. Oh. And you, you are not a Westerner by, by like you weren't born out West. You moved out there. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, I was born in New Hampshire. Oh, I was born in Maine, raised in New Hampshire. Interesting. Totally different. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, it was it was almost like divine that yeah. I wound up out here. Uh, there was a period in my in my like real youth where I was like, man, I think I should be out west. And like I thought about Montana a lot. And like again, Montana was like larger than life, right? Like that was right. never a reality at that age. Um, but as as you grow up and start to learn a little bit about the world and who you yeah. are and what you need to do with your life. You know, you figure that stuff out. Yeah. And it's also, I, I feel like as I, I've gotten older, you, you, the things that you dreamt of doing are not usually as impossible as they seem when you dreamt of them, that you just have to decide to do them. And that's right. usually the, the barrier. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, and, and like, regardless of where you are in life, right. It's like still a hurdle to go do those things. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I picked up my life, uh, it was, it's kind of convoluted, but, uh, essentially I picked up my life and just said, Hey, I'm packing a trailer and I'm moving to Montana. <laughs> that's where I think I'm going to find, you know, uh, the best opportunities career wise, um, for personal growth, et cetera. Yeah. Was this re like recently, how, how old were you when you moved out? No. So I'll, I'll dive in a little bit. I moved out here in 2008 to go to okay. school. Yep. And then right, it's uh, the, the college right in Bozeman, right? Is that what you're, you're talking? Yeah. Yeah. Montana state university. Yep. And then, uh, my sophomore year, my mother got sick. So I wound up picking up and moving home almost oh. immediately. 
And then I'd already transferred school. So I transferred back to the university of New Hampshire. Okay. And instead of tra- like, instead of transferring back to Montana state, I was like, I'm just going to finish school here. Right. It doesn't make sense to keep moving around, losing credits, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and I was also paying in-state tuition, which was <laughs> significantly expensive <laughs> Montana state. Uh, so I finished school there. And instead of going to graduation, I packed a trailer and moved back to Montana. You don't need pomp and circumstance. You just, you know, get your diploma and get the heck out of there. Yep. Yeah. My, my diploma is literally still sitting in the original cardboard box or envelope <laughs> that I came in. It's funny. I, I just saw it the other day. I was looking for some tax info and I was like, Hey, I was like, look at yeah. that. I do still have one of those. I'm smart. Look at yeah. it. It proves it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I never know what to do with them. I've got mine. I've got, so I got this big, I got a law school degree diploma and I'm, I never know what to do with it because I feel like it's something you have to, I don't know. Like if I lose it, are they going to like, am I officially not graduated? (laughs) You know, I don't know what to do with it. It's hanging in my garage right now. So it's, uh, yeah. Uh, it's funny you say that. I just, I saw something on Instagram the other day, some, I don't know what it was. If it was, it wasn't a meme, but it was something. And some gal was like, yeah, I lost my diploma and I called and they didn't have any record of me graduating from there. And I was like, God, like, is it a huge deal? I don't know. But like, could it, could it potentially be a headache and a pretty expensive loss? Sure. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I was I like, promise. Yeah. I pulled that diploma out and I was like, uh, put it right back in its yeah. envelope and put it away where it belongs. I, like, I, always, I do still have dreams that I'll be like, Hey, I, I, I'll wake up and it's like, Hey, this is college. This is college. I went to Kelvin college. This is Kelvin college calling. Uh, you, you didn't take a PE class. It was part of your, you know, your, all the other, you know, everything else has been negated. You have to go back. And I'm just, I have, I've had that dream many, many times for the past decade. And so, you know, yeah. well, PE would be better than like calc two or something yeah right well i almost so in in college i had this that we had this we it was a liberal arts college you had to take all sorts of classes right yep um and so i regularly i tried to push spanish off and i tried to see maybe no one would notice if i didn't take it and of course they noticed i had to take like an accelerated one year spanish to just get my but i did i almost had to take a pe class again because we, it was a jogging class, which is, I don't know. So we'd get out of the dorm. You're supposed to meet at the gym and you ran, you run whatever this, this route that she laid out my, my prof, but it went right past my dorm. So I just kind of lingered back as I was running and I just went, ran straight to my dorm, you know, played some video games. I just kept my eye out the window for them to come back. Well, I came as they came back, I just went back in and it was fine for, for a few minutes. No one said anything but I see this girl in my class talking to the prof and she's looking at me talking like, okay, you know, she comes over to me. She's like, Hey, uh, Mr. Zanstra, I I noticed you're not very sweaty. I'm like, well, you know, I'm, I'm just not a sweater. I'm, you know, I'm in great shape. So I got caught. Actually, she let me just rerun it. She was really nice about it. Cause I finally, I'm like, you know what? Just cards on the table. I just didn't want to run. I just went and played video games in my, my dorm for the last 45 minutes. So Anyways, all that to say is it's incredible. It's entirely possible that someone's coming back for me at some point saying, Hey, your degrees mean nothing. You didn't take the classes that you're supposed to. <laughs> well, with any luck, that doesn't happen. But if it does, I don't know, go back to the heydays, right? That's right. You know, you, that means I had some parties up. I haven't uh, bonged a beer in a while. And no, I haven't done a keg stand in who knows how long. <sighs> so, you know, either it, it'd be good to know if I still got it in me. 
Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things I, I'm just going to trust. I have it in me that's right. and try to avoid it at all costs. Uh, that's a smart, I, that's a, a wise <laughs> approach. So, so I got, I got to ask then. So you're, you're from the, the Northeast, um, yep. white-tailed deer. Yeah. Is, you got a lot of experience with white-tailed deer? A fair amount. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, I cut my teeth as a hunter duck hunting and that was sure. like my, my one and only passion in hunting. I grew up in a hunting family. All my cousins were deer hunting. They were like, man, you got to get out and do this. It's very rewarding. Like it's way more rewarding than shooting a duck. And I was like, nah, like, I don't want to sit in a tree stand. So, uh, I came to college here, still wasn't a bow hunter, right? I'm 18 years old. Still hadn't, I had maybe fired a bow a couple of times. Okay. Um, and I met my friend, Peter Munich, longtime friend of mine. And I know you've been on the show. Yep. Yep. And, uh, yeah, did a little elk hunting with him and all of a sudden the wheels started turning in my head and I was like, okay, here we go. I'm going to get into this. And then, like I said, kind of without notice, I had to pick up and move back home. Right. So, uh, I cut my teeth bow hunting whitetails in New Hampshire. And it was like, I wasn't, I wasn't doing it sometime. I wasn't doing it a lot of the time I was doing it all of the time. Really? Every spare second I had between class after class, like, you know, I'm, I'm reading books in my tree stand, trying to keep up with my school, oh, yeah. but yeah. I, was, I was in my stand every single day that I could be. So, but that's a, I mean, that's a big deal. Like those, if you go through a stretch and I, I had the same thing where you're out all the time. Well, I look back at that time thing, man, that is the most I learned about hunting. The most I learned about archery. Uh, I mean, you just learn so much just by being out there. Yeah. Yeah. Time spent, man. There's, there's just nothing that replaces it, you know? Yeah. Like, like you can get good at other things. You can get good at e-scouting. You can get good at shooting your bow. Uh, even though, you know, shooting a bow is pretty situational when you have a big deer elk in front of you. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah. You, you just can't replace time spent. So. No, no, that, that's awesome. So whitetail then, you know, back and forth, what Eastern Western style hunting, uh, is it hard for do you go back and whitetail hunt at all now? You know, I haven't, I haven't like truly sat in a stand with good whitetail potential in, in a few years. I've got a few places out here locally where I'll, I have some tree stands up and like sure. we have um, region three here, like the greater Bozeman area, I guess, um, has, I think you can buy like five doe permits or something. Nice. So I'll usually go like bow hunt for a doe um just to like kind of get back to my whitetail roots but i don't dedicate a ton of time to it out here although maybe i should and there's definitely potential for it um, yeah I, fe- I feel like guys out west there's a lot of actually good whitetail hunting out in montana especially just there's not a lot of guys that really spend a whole lot of time going after no, them. there's not and and uh a lot of those whitetails reside on private just because of the nature of where they live right yeah people own the flatlands, people own the river bottoms, et cetera. So yeah, there's workarounds, right? There's public in places. Um, but it's, you know, it's not wide open. If I had, if I had the pick of the litter and I could go bow hunt whitetails anywhere I wanted, I'd be all about it, but right. Yeah. I don't know. My, my, my pursuits generally take me elsewhere. Uh, you know, mostly uphill. Yeah. (laughs) So whitetail aren't going into the mountains too much. They are. Are they? Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's instances where you see some pretty cool, big, heavy, dark horned 
mountain whitetails and particularly it seems like in the Northwest. Sure. Yeah. So like, you know, out near like Missoula, Kalispell, places like that. Sure. Uh, it seems like those, those whitetail bucks are kind of infiltrating the mountains there, but I don't know if, if I saw one that was really appealing to me, I'd kill one. <laughs> of uh, course. Yeah. I've got a good friend. Uh, his name is Logan Summers. Who's an absolute whitetail scouting, locating, killing machine. I think that over the last three years, he's killed a buck over last year. He killed the smallest buck in three years. And I want to say it still broke 160. Sheesh. Yeah, he, he does well for himself, but he's, you know, he's, he's got the gift of the gab as people call it. And yeah. he just, like talks to ranchers, buddy, buddies up with them and, uh, you know, finds, finds his way onto some pretty special properties. So that's so key, especially out, out East where so I guess you could consider Michigan kind of East. Uh, that's huge. Cause there's not a ton of giant chunks of for private land. So you're talking to a bunch of landowners if you're not hunting on, on public and it, it, it's a lot of work. <clears throat> it is <clears throat> it is yeah and i when i got into whitetail hunting back in the northeast that was the name of the game like there is very little public land yeah um and, and furthermore a lot of it is parceled up pretty heavily mm -hmm. so i knocked on a lot of doors and got really comfortable doing it you know for some people yeah. that's a big hurdle right they're terrified oh yeah knocking on a door i'm like hey whatever what's the worst that could happen right i've i've been chased off of one porch in my life which was a bad experience but i was like ah, well that's the anomaly right yeah and you were fine you didn't get shot or anything i was fine yeah that it was just a very disgruntled human being uh, <laughs> I, I was looking for turkey permission and he was oh, like sure. blown away that i would kill a turkey so it's just like anyway. have you ever eaten a turkey it's all, they're yeah. awesome have you ever hunted a turkey it's might even be more awesome than it, eating a turkey yeah it is yeah they're good table fare but hunting them it's i'm we're a couple what are we like six weeks away or so for from, for turkey for us yeah i cannot wait we're something like that i think april it's usually like the first week in april it opens here so probably six oh really weeks out. okay you know what yeah, we have, we're the end of april so i'm way we're way longer than six weeks then yeah okay. so growing up in new hampshire our season i want to say it started uh in the beginning of may yeah it by, does. The, by the beginning of may you felt like you had missed a month of good turkey hunting you know oh yeah where those toms like really start to cruise and get interested uh they're receptive to calling they haven't you know potentially found a a, a hen or however many hens to breed with so they're like you know they're hot and bothered in april and they're in my opinion they're easier to call in like the turkey hunting oh, yeah. here granted they're Merriams, not those like big smart eastern birds but like yeah. turkey hunting here is blows new hampshire out of the water really really they oh, come yeah. right in real aggressive not all the time you know like sure. it's it, it's very strategic much like elk hunting would be right like moving and trying to call them into a place where you think they'd be comfortable coming into um so it's yeah it's not it's not like they're just like dumb as a brick and come running on <laughs> right. it like if yeah. you, you can play the game right and generally there's country here. So like you can, you can make some strategic moves and get into a spot where you think you're going to be pretty lethal. Yeah. Well, and when, when there's a, a later season too, and social media doesn't help because like, and I, I'll have this where you guys are hunting out, out West and maybe I'm not at that time. And it's like, I'm seeing people out hunting pronghorn and like, 
August and September stuff. And for us, whitetail opens October one. So it's like, by the time October one feels rolls around, I'm like, man, people have been hunting for like two months and I'm just sitting here waiting and it's, it's driving me crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you consider some of these early season, uh, high country mule deer hunts, right? Like yeah, that's like an early to mid August start date in a lot of places. So yeah, people have been going at it for probably, you know, just about two full months before you guys get to head in the woods. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, my, my strategy this year for that was just to spread it out. So I'm going like doing a bear hunt in May, you know, doing a, a caribou hunt in August. So I can at least not feel left out, you know, and somehow convince my wife to let me do that. So yep, that was that's a, win. a good call. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, so you, you're moving back and forth. You, you, you just now have stuck in, in, um, out West uh, and it looks like you guys do mostly over the counter stuff, right? Not is that pretty much the case? Well, yeah. I mean, like I'm, I'm in the game in a bunch yeah. of states, but procuring tags through a state lottery is tough, right? Especially like, in Montana. Yeah. Yeah. Montana's tough. Uh, there are some opportunities here. If you know what you're doing, you can get some pretty decent tags. Uh, although they did just change the regulations quite a bit. So who knows what the landscape is going to look like in the next two, three, four years. Um, but yeah, a lot, lot of opportunity here and great OTC opportunity. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm always trying to go out of state. Like I'm always trying to add one or two states per year to, you know, that year's resume. So you got something cool lined up this, this year. Um, yeah, working on it. Um, trying to get a Wyoming elk tag, Mm -hmm. archery elk tag. So cool. I've never hunted Wyoming. Um, so I'd like to go do that. Right. It's kind of the, it's, kind of the last best place at this point yeah and i'll hunt idaho i've been hunting idaho for the last couple of years uh that getting a tag there can be an issue right they have that new like first come first serve yeah it was bizarre we tried to get in there and, and couldn't get in yep yeah i was i was fortunate this year usually i'm like 17 to twenty thousandth in line yeah yeah right this year i was 460 or something so i was like wow click click, click. thanks for the tags wow nice yeah. so little nice. stroke of luck which is nice because i have no luck when it comes to drawing tags no i don't know i don't know what it is about their algorithms or how they pull those permits but it seems like it's you know, your name. Something's wrong with your name. The number of letters, the, the, you know, Whitney's yeah. a W at the end of the elf. Who knows? Yeah. I feel like 10% of the people have 90% of the luck. Yeah. Better to I, be lucky than good. Yeah. So yeah, to answer your question, like, yeah, primarily OTC, um, yeah. you know, except for when we get lucky and pull a permit somewhere. Yeah. Now I was, I was watching your, um, well, you guys have a bunch of cool films like over and out Lone Star dads. You yeah. know, what's nice is my, uh, my nine-year-old, I've got a nine-year-old daughter who loves watching hunting films. Yeah. So I, that means I'm always, I'm always watching them. She's cause she'll be like, if she, she wants to convince me to watch TV, which is not a given, she'll be like, Hey, uh, dad, what do you think we, uh, snuggle up on the couch and, uh, put some hunting on? She knows I can't say no to that. Right. So, um, but I, I saw your, your border, uh, bulls elk was, that was a nice elk and it was a heck of a shot. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was a hard fought season in film. Like we we tr- we tried to portray it in that film yeah. as best we could without boring the audience. How hard we worked with basically no success. 
um, <laughs> which is just the nature of the beast. That's how it goes. Right. Yeah. And, uh, a lot of times that's what separates people who are successful from unsuccessful is like, we just like Zach, especially myself included, like we don't have any quit in us, you know, like if I have a tag in my pocket, I'm going to fight till the bitter end to get it done. So, and that's, yeah, it, it yielded a great bull. Um, and it came together perfectly. You know, it was just like, that was the situation we had been looking for, for three weeks, you know? Yeah. So yeah, he yeah. popped right out and you, I mean, like I said, you, you could, I could even hear your hinge click or, yep. you know, the safety off or whatever it's called. And yeah, heck of I, a shot. I, I always wonder if, if people catch that, um, when I, when I started with the hinge, I started to go down that road. I battled target panic years and years and years ago. Um, but I always wonder if people catch that oh, click yeah. and like, know that I'm shooting a hinge. Um, not, not that it really matters, but, uh, I've, it, I've it kind of does. Cause it's like you, if you hear that click and you see a shot like that, you're like, he, you, you executed it well, you know, yeah. that's, that's kind of the critical part. It's like you went through your whole sequence. You, you pulled back, you did all the, the things you got to do. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, fortunately that arrow hit that bowl just about perfectly. And he tipped yeah. over, he, he like doesn't tip over actually on films. I think Sam pans back yeah. to me as I'm like, Whoa! You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, he tips over right out in the middle of that field, which is like arguably the best feeling on the planet, you know, oh, run yeah. an arrow through a nice six point, watch him go out and pile up. Yeah, it's really I, I've got a one image in my mind that I've I've had a similar similar thing at it just probably my it actually is my biggest buck I shot. He popped out, I shot him and he ran like 30 yards, and you see him kind of do the stumble and, and fall of right in front of you. And it's like I can't believe it just happened and it's right in front of me. It's freaking yeah. awesome. Yep. It's it's kind of a double-edged sword, honestly. Like you arrow a nice bowl or a nice buck, right? You're so pumped. You see him tip over, it's yeah. done, right? Yeah. When they get out of sight, it's like there's still like this sure. aspect of the hunt that need you need to like you need to go track them and conclude this story, right? Yeah. So so it's uh, like yeah, it's like anticlimactic a little bit when you have that happen. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still find though after I shoot, that's when I when if I hit shoot a deer and he's he runs right, that I am like and pins and needles like I am shook up because I'm like man, this is the most stressful part of the hunt because I don't know if I he's dead if he's not dead it's not always given you know and i like what if i lose the blood trail this is the whole thing i'm replaying all the bad images in my mind of past times that it's happened it's like it's a lot of stress there oh yeah yeah i i can identify with that i shot a bull this year um played my cards perfectly bull bull walks into this meadow i waited on him for like four hours he walks into this meadow walking right to me and i'm like Okay, here we go. I'm rattled, but I draw back, go through my shot sequence, right? Hit my click, roll through my mantra, boom, shot breaks. And I put this perfect arrow through him. And I'm like, yeah. you know, like he doesn't, he doesn't even know what happened, right? So the arrow zips through him and I watch my, my veins disappear right in the spot. He wheels and just stands there. And I can see blood coming out. Like he's got a perfect hole in him i'm like if you shoot an elk that's where you shoot him right he just stands there so i'm like well dunk, knock another arrow send it again another perfect shot and i'm like no question this thing is toast like he he might make it 50 yards maybe sure. but 
I feel like this bull was just like old and wise and he had definitely been fighting. Like he's a little broke up. I'd seen him the week before he was running a big herd and now he only had one cow. So someone came in and booted him. Yeah. But anyway, he just soaks these two arrows up and walks off and he goes up. He doesn't run, just walks off and disappears behind this little knoll. And I'm, I'm sure that he's going to tip over at any second. Right. Yeah. Anyway, long story short, I go back, get my buddy, get on this bull, almost no blood. And this bull makes it uh, 400 yards minimum really? uphill and dies in the wide open, right? And like in a spot I would never in my wildest dreams think to go look right away. You know, right. so I think it was three hours, maybe four hours after I shot him that I found him. Holy cow. So it's, yeah. I guess what I'm saying is I identify with that stress even more now, right? I buzz two perfect arrows through a bowl. I'm used to seeing them tip over with those kind of shots and it takes four hours and, you know, boatload of stress and like emotions. Now my emotional roller coaster is even more significant. (laughs) And uh, yeah, I don't know. So even, even on those good shots where you're like, man, I feel good about that one. It's still, Still a lot of question marks. You never know. It you sounds like know. you you put a lot of time in your archery practice. Is that true? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. In target yeah. panic, you dealt with. Yeah, yeah. That's... How'd you how'd you get over it? Well, or uh, control it or whatever. However you want to. Yeah, it's it's kind of a interesting story. I I tried to deal with it myself. I bought a Carter Revolution, which I think is yep. a fantastic training tool. Um, I'm not a big fan of that release in all fairness. It's very, in my opinion, inconsistent, right? Like sometimes you let off the safety and your arrow will break or your shot will break. And then other times it feels like you have to pull the cams off your bow to get it to go. So I started there and then there was a local shoot and Joel Turner came to it. And I worked with Joel for, I don't know. 45 minutes, an hour, something like that. And it's the best thing I ever did. Really? Best thing I ever did. Yep. Uh, I'm in, I'm in a totally different place today all because of Joel and he didn't, he, it wasn't like I was totally corrected in an hour, but I had things I could go work on. Right. And I had, I had uh, a path forward, which I could go try to solidify with the next 10,000 arrows I was going to shoot. Yeah. So, uh, he gave me the tools that I needed to go do the work myself. Interesting. Yeah. So it, it, yeah. Shameless plug for Joel. If you have target panic, go work with him. So I, I wax and wane in the target panic front. I, uh, so my tendency is uh, I hold high just rewinding back. I had no problem with, with target panic forever. Right. And then on set. Yes. You're like, you're great one day. The next day you're a, a, yes. an absolute bloody mess. Yep. People are, I'm like sending arrows, uh, skipping off the back of a target, you know, but it, it didn't even, I never even had it until probably five, six years ago where I started shooting, like shooting a lot. Like I, I had a season where I'm like, Hey, I want, I don't want to miss. I don't want to have any, I, I want to just, I'm going to shoot a ton. So I was shooting best I've ever shot. And, and suddenly one day it's like, I hold my pin five inches above the, where I'm shit, where I'm trying to hit and I cannot get it to go down without just 
losing it and just sending an arrow, losing my mind. It felt like, yeah, um, absolutely. I found that I, I tend to, for a while I would switch releases. And I think what that did was give me like a temporary, like it's a bandaid. Yeah. It's a bandaid. Right. And all of a sudden it's like, Oh, okay. No big deal. And then, you know, a month in, it's like, I'm just the same amount of mess that I was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's very interesting that you came from the top down and yeah. couldn't drop your, your pin into place or like, I bet 90% of people come from the bottom up and it feels like their bow weighs a really? thousand pounds, right? You like cannot get that pin to come into place. Yeah. So it's very, it's very funny. It's, uh, it just goes to show that it's completely mental, right? Like, your oh, yeah. no, it like, feels like I'm setting my bow on a table. Like I can't push it down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's all between your ears, right? Like it's, it has nothing to do with, with, uh, your strength or your physicality or your anatomy. It's all between your ears. Yeah. So it's very target panic is nasty. It's it nasty. is. I feel like, an, like, and so a jo, uh, Jared, the other part of Boga will forever didn't even believe in it. So I'm like, Hey man, this is the thing. I'm just telling you, like, you know, I'm, I'm opening up, I'm getting vulnerable with you. I, you know, I've got, tar- I think I got target panic. And he's like, Oh, come on. You just suck at shooting, you know, giving me a hard time. I'm like, no man, no man. Well, eventually he started <clears throat> to deal with it as well a little bit. Um, yeah. And I wonder if it comes on just when you get, the more you shoot, like you shoot, the more you, you like when you dive real, real in that, that's, I bad. think that's the case. Um, Pete Munich, right. Doesn't shoot his bow a lot. Has been bow hunting for years and years and years, like generally makes great shots on bulls but he doesn't shoot like I shoot or like we shoot, you know, he's like, yeah. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm good with this thing. But yeah. Like I know I'm good. And like in all fairness, the compounds these days, like you can pick it up after three months and go launch an 80 yard bomb and be like, still got it. Yep. Totally. Like riding a bike. So, but he, he's like, he, he has of the same belief. He's like target panic. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, I, I know you don't think it's real, but trust me, spend some time in the archery world, talk to some people, go watch some people shoot on, you know, even a semi-competitive line yep. and you watch people fall apart. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's totally mental. Like you said, it's, uh, that's what drives me crazy that it's mental. That, that's the part that bothers me. It's like, man, if it was something wrong in my arm, I could do some exercises or, you know, my shoulder or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's one of those things like you, you always, in my opinion, you kind of always battle it back, right? You like yeah. always try to keep it at bay, especially when your emotions get heightened, um, you know, on a competitive line, we shoot league and Bozeman here. And like, you know, you step up next to some pretty good shooters and you get some adrenaline going or like you're shooting steep, like a steel target with a hole. Oh, sure. Yeah. This big at 35 yards, which is like, you know, like you should be able to put that arrow in there just about every time. And the stress sets in, you know, so it's, yeah. yeah, you just, you like constantly have to work to keep it at bay. I, I, I sometimes look back and I blame the target panic that I got on the fact that when I started getting it, I kept losing arrows. And then I was, I'd get real worried about losing an arrow and it would just make it worse. Cause I was like, ah, I've only got six left and I don't want to buy another, you know, I was just out of school, have a young kid. I don't have money to keep buying arrows. And then I get more flustered and it's, it got way worse. Yep. Yeah. Target panic, man. It's like, it comes in all shapes and sizes, uh, yeah. different effects for everybody, but ultimately it, 
it will set in. If you shoot enough arrows and you don't know what you're doing or how to prevent it or how to execute correctly, like it's going to get you. Do you, what's your, what release you shoot now? I have a true ball HT, which is okay. a, a micro adjust, um, hinge. You get, is it real sensitive? Or are you more of a, um, more? so it's, it's not set super hot. Uh, having your release set super hot, in my opinion, is kind of a, a sign of target panic, right? Because you yeah. want to be able to get that thing to go when it needs to yeah. go without too much, like, um, Joel would call it pre-ignition movement. Yeah. So, uh, it's not set super hot. I basically have it set cold. And then recently I put a short click in it. So sure. from click to fire is much shorter than my previous click to fire. Okay. And, and basically why I did that is, uh, just for consistency purposes. So like I can get, I can draw back, I can sit here all day. And part of my process is once I'm here, I'll like take a deep breath in and it expands and my release will click. And then okay. I'll have like, like I that. want my shot to go in like two to four seconds. Something After like you've that. taken your deep breath, clicked it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't like deliberately click it. I go and like part of my body expanding and my diaphragm makes it click. Interesting. And then I start to execute, right? And my my pin's been buried the whole time. But right. that's when my shot process really starts. Um so yeah, I just, for the sake of consistency, because my other one click to fire was a little long. So like sometimes it'd go off in five seconds. Sometimes it would go off in eight, right? And honestly, like time. six, six, seven seconds of trying to aim your bow perfectly, things start to break down. Yeah. So. Interesting. I, I did something. I don't know if I'll regret it. I've been told I'll regret it forever. I shot different Carter releases. I think I had the chocolate light was my last one thumb, <clears throat> but I do a lot of like, so we hunt a lot of whitetails, but, um, not always your typical, like stand, like we'll do some saddle hunting and we'll do a lot of just on the ground, a lot of, um, still hunting and stuff like that. And I just crawling through stuff. I was always worried about losing it. So it's like, always got to find it. And, you know, so I ended up getting a wrist release, uh, and, I'm, I I'm shooting fine with it right now. And I think maybe it's because I've switched and it's not, you know, I'm not used to it yet. And that's mm -hmm. keeping things fine for me. Yeah. But I don't know. Like I, I, I try to do the, the back tension where you put your finger and you just kind of pull and it, it seems to be fine so far, but it's not your typical like person that's into archery is not usually going to the, the trigger finger release so much. Yeah. The, the trigger finger is, it's an interesting topic because you can shoot it just fine. Like you can, yeah. you can have great shot execution with a trigger. It just so happens that that's the most common release. And when people go to an archery shop, especially when they're a beginner, right? They go, they buy a bow, they buy a whole setup. And naturally an archery shop sells you a trigger release. Sure. So that's where you, you basically start to fail from the first arrow you shoot. If that yeah. archery shop doesn't teach you what you need to do to execute shots, right? So like from day one, myself included, I had no instruction and I went tip of my finger, whack, 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 right? And I did yeah. that for, I don't know how many years, right? So for years and years and years, I pounded this terrible habit into my head. Yeah. So it's just, it, yeah, the, the trigger just gets a bad rap. I think there's nothing wrong with it. Like no. nothing wrong it's with it. It's very convenient. All. Very convenient. Yep. And they're less expensive and you don't lose them. Yeah. 
So yep. I'm, I have lost a handheld release at an extremely inopportune time, <laughs> uh, which, yeah, which will probably haunt me till the day I die. But yeah, it will well, happen. You, you see some guys like, I think, a Cameron Haynes. If you watch him shoot, he's not, he, you, he would not be your prototypical like form release expert. You know, he's, I feel like it looks like he's punching it, but he shoots great. So I don't know how he's doing it. Yeah. I don't know. Different strokes for different folks. Um, I, I was a phenomenal trigger puncher. Were you? For a long time. Yep. Yep. And then, you know, like I said, rapid onset, all of a sudden you went from like being a hero to being a zero real quick with the trigger. Yeah. You hate to see it. Yeah. That's funny. It's funny. I just, I, so prior to this, I was, I was looking at some of the stuff that you were doing and I, I noticed you, you seem like you spent a lot of time in the, uh, archery practice which is interesting to me because for a while that was i mean for us our podcast was focused specifically on archery so yeah um, very I, yeah, yeah you, you're right i do i i spend a lot of time on that kind of prep work um and, and with rifles as well right sure. like you work so hard for your opportunities it's just a shame to lose them due to something that you could have prevented and it, with a little bit of off season work, you know, yeah. and this, this is what started my whole path down correcting target panic and becoming an extremely proficient archer was I missed a bull at like 40 yards, right. Could not get my pin on the thing. And I jumped to target and I shot underneath him like 40 yards. It's the most basic shot on the planet, yeah. right? You have right. to hit sheet of plywood. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and I couldn't do that. <laughs> so that's, that's when it was like, all right, I got to put the work in. I got to figure this out. Um, and, and in doing so with archery, it translates directly to rifles, right? You know, I don't get quite as rattled with a rifle. Like no matter what my emotions get going to some degree, but I don't get yeah. quite as rattled. It's not as personal or, you know, it's like not as close and personal as trying to shoot something with a bow. Uh, but there's still like, I have a process for my rifle, right? Yeah. And I don't punch the trigger on my rifle no matter what. And we've been doing some of this like PRS style stuff where there's like, you know, heavy winds and your like your float is huge. And I, I will not punch the trigger. Might I hit more targets? Mm, possibly. <laughs> yeah. Right. But I will not do it. I won't do it. It's just, like I said, you know, I'm like constantly trying to avoid falling back. Once you do exactly, you're stuck back. Once you start yeah. doing it again, you let that in. Yeah. So it's a lot of yeah. off season practice, a lot. So you're, you're doing a lot with your rifle too. In the off oh yeah. Yeah, I'm, I have like multiple rifle builds going right now for like PRS style stuff. Um, I have, I bet I have four bows hanging in my garage that I'm shooting all the time. You know, like even if I'm not shooting at anything, I'll like go out my garage and just execute. Um, and I'm, I'm not a huge fan of blank bailing in, yeah. in terms of solving target panic. Right. But it's, it doesn't hurt to practice, you know. It's your form, you know, it's, it's like, yeah. A, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I don't know. I bet, I bet I shoot my bow four days a week minimum. Nice. I can appreciate that. I, I do the same. I like to do it. I, I was just, I posted this on Instagram the other day. I actually recently moved off some land into uh, kind of a condo on a river, uh, but behind us. So it's, it's real close to a bunch of public land. So I can always go shoot out there, but on this property is this old school building that they're going to renovate and turn into more condos and stuff. 
but right now it's it looks like a haunted like a video game like a haunted scary video game in there but you can get a 45 yard shot in the hallway and so that's where i've been going in the cold like i just go sit in there you know i just got a new bow i gotta sight it in uh kind of get my new gear dialed for for turkey season here yeah um so shooting there a lot which is really fun just get a big one of those big track lights and and throw it up and your your money so we've been having used, uh, and I say used, and I mean it, uh, break in. They've been going in, they smash stuff, you know. So I've been hiding trail cameras all around. I got like the uh, the cell cam sitting out on a pole out front. So haven't caught them yet, but I feel like I'm going to win the battle against those kids. Ha, huh. kids. Yeah, um, kids. I was a kid once. But... I was. I was going to say I probably would have been the kid in there, sticking around, but yeah, it's neither here nor there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so stone glacier, you've been there for a while. Um, and I've, I've actually, you know, over the last year used uh, a stone glacier pack quite extensively, uh, for a while I would use a lot of whitetail, but we'll do travel hunts too. I would use different packs was like my mentality. I've got a small pack for whitetail, something little or whatever. Uh, this year I kind of went in with that mentality, but I eventually just kept using my, it's a 6,900, the Evo. Yeah. Cause it, it goes so small that I can just, it's like, why wouldn't I have the opportunity, like the option to expand it huge? Right. You know? And so it's one of of those things. And and when I talk to people about buying packs, I'm like, Hey, listen, I get it. If you're never going to use the space and you know, you're never going to use the space, go smaller. It's not a big deal. But if you think you might, it's better to have it and not need it and need it and not have it, you know? And And it's it's so light. It's inconsequential. Yeah. Yeah. It's no big deal to carry around three, four ounces of extra fabric, you know? Exactly. And like, I was, I was just talking to Jared, but I'm like, man, I would not have thought I would use it so much, but we're the way that we kind of hunt out here. It's we walk farther in. So it's dragging out a deer is just, we're not going to do it. So I just pack them out. I pack out them, you know, pack out coyotes this year, packed out a bears and whatever else. Uh, and, and I found that, like I said, just having something that cinches down on your back where it's small, you can't even see it uh, expanding to basically I could hunt maybe 10 days if I was really, really pushing it with that pack. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's sweet. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a no brainer to me to spend the extra 20 bucks or whatever it is, 30, 40 bucks to upgrade to a little bit bigger pack and just run it in what we call bivy mode. Yeah. Uh, with or without the lid in bivy mode. Um, you know, it just, are you a lid, lid guy for a day hike, a day hunt? I, I haven't put, I don't use it. I hate lids. Do you? They're pain. Oh. Okay. I didn't know if I was the only one. There, <laughs> there's a time and a place for them. Right. If I, if I can avoid it, I will. I'll typically carry it late season just because it's like great quick access to down gloves right. or a beanie, stuff like that, you know? But generally speaking, like I don't need quick access to stuff. I have accessory pockets on my hip belt with like phone, phone scope, in reach, lightweight pair of gloves, extra re- release. So I can pretty much operate without ever taking my pack off. Right. Yeah. You run a lid and all your important stuff is in your lid pack comes off all the time. Yeah. Which is not a big deal. Like I'm, I'm generally not in a hurry when I'm hunting, you know, like yeah. I have all day. I spend a lot of the day killing time. Exactly. Right. Glassing or whatever. So, uh, but yeah, I don't know. Again, there's a time and a place. Yeah. It's funny how the Western, <clears throat> at least for us, ever since we started going West or doing different types of hunts like that, the way that we've hunted back home has changed quite a bit. So, you know, prior to this, I would take like a 
you know, forever, I hunted with this old Navy backpack. It was literally just fabric. And it was like, I'd throw a couple things in there and go sit in a tree and carry all my stuff out and I'd be hot. And, but you know, ever since I started traveling, my, my mentality has been, well, you can go in way lighter with the different materials that, that are available now with whether it be down or Merino or, or whatever you go out light, you walk into your stand light. You can just throw a, a down jacket on, not in one of these huge heavy coats that, you know, you wear growing up uh, hunting for whitetail. Right. I um, mean, so like my, my whitetail setup minus these sweet pair of wool pants that I'll bring out is very similar to uh, what somebody might be using out West, not terribly different. Right. Yeah. The, the layering system is pretty applicable no matter what you're doing. Right. Like, and, and furthermore, as a Western hunter, like we spend a lot of time up on Hills, not doing anything but glassing. Right. So like right. you still move, you still are stagnant for a long time. Maybe not an all day sit in a tree stand. Yeah. I don't know? hardly do those ever though. I can't. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's some value in them. But it's sure it, they're long sits, um, you know, and, and theoretically you can only do that on Saturday and Sunday if you work a job. So exactly. Uh, I don't know. I'm sure 90% of deer get killed in the morning or evening anyway. Right. Uh, no doubt about it. People kill cruisers at, you know, high noon, noon and one. Yeah. That happens, especially in the rut. You never know. Right. Yeah. In the rut it's probably worthwhile, but yeah, my point is like, some degree you wind up in some pretty similar situations. Are you sitting in a tree stand? No, but are you stagnant and trying to recoup all the body heat that you can? Yes. Yeah. So like it, there's a lot of crossover when it comes to layering. Well, and even like, I always say, it, well, isn't that swishy too loud? Like your, your coat, your, like I, for three years shot, just re, a recurve. I never had a problem with it once where they heard me and they're within 20 yards every single time. Yeah. People get bent out of shape about noise and lack of camo and various other things. <laughs> and, uh, I really think it boils down to the Indian. Yeah. Not the arrow. <laughs> not, yeah. It's, you know, camo is what we talk about. Camo and scent. We, we get asked about and talk about a lot. Yeah. Camo. I haven't worn cam. I, I'll have rand. Like some of my stuff is camouflaged incidentally, you know? Um, but that is even Turkey hunting last year. I had grays. I wore just like a gray hoodie, uh, mm -hmm. a grid fleece. And it was, I had no problem, you know? So, and same with scent, like the deer is going to smell you if he's downwind, whether you have sprayed yourself with a whole bucket of whatever or not, doesn't really matter. You can, you can people, again, people get bent out of shape about this. You can take every single precaution especially yep. in, in the West, right? You're hunting mountains, you're sweaty. You can take every single precaution and it doesn't do a damn thing in my <laughs> opinion, right? Like yeah. you could be the most scent free from head to toe. If you open your mouth exactly, and breathe, if you are, if you breathe, which I'm fairly certain all humans do, yeah, you are pouring scent into the air, right? Not to mention your fart while you're out there. I'm, you know, you're eating a mountain house meal in the bad country. You're gonna, you're gonna get gassy and it's just gonna, you know, we've had a guy on the podcast. He's actually a really a great hunter has shoots a ton of great bucks in Michigan, but he like, he has like a scent proof van, like free van that he hunts in. He's got totes and he shaves body hair, does yeah. the whole thing. And I don't know. That's just not well, my, my way. Is, is it bad? No. no, does it give you a huge advantage in my opinion? Not really. 
Maybe a little oh. bit. Like maybe just like a one, maybe you get half of a second longer, but. Maybe. Yeah. In, in my experience, if you're upwind of an animal, game over. Game over. It's over. Yeah. 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 And, and again, back to Western hunting, like you're going to sweat, right? Like my clothes are as sweaty as they ever are when I'm hunting, right? My shirt's drenched uh, by day two or three of a backpack hunt, right? You like, can hardly stand yourself because of how yeah. bad you smell. <laughs> yeah. So I just, I just don't think there's any way around it other than being diligent, playing the wind, being a good hunter. Just be, be flexible too. And that's, that's part of the reason why I don't sit in a stand all day, same spot. Like I'll move for one. I just want to see what's around. And it's hard for me to sit there when I not sure exactly what's going on right over the ridge or whatever. Yeah. But second, it's like the wind is not perfect all day. You know, it's going to be wrong. So you should move. Yep. Um, actually speaking of which, this is a question I've been wondering about. So I've been doing this uh, mountain tough training, uh, <laughs> program, which is awesome. Loving it, it. doing the kettlebell one right now. And next is the, this new pack workout that they came out with. Right. He was just on the podcast. Dustin was, um, yep. part of one thing I wonder though, is my hunting pack would also be my training pack. Uh, am I going to stink? Am I like, is this thing just going to reek when I'm done? Uh, there's some potential for it. Yeah. After, after a tough season, uh, your pack usually stinks pretty good. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But my, my, so I guess there's two parts to that question. Cause first of all, like your pack, my pack stunk. I put it in the, the uh, washing machine. I did the whole thing and it, it's fine now. But for me this year, the pack that part of the pack that stunk was the bag where I just had gross dead things sitting in there. But my, my big concern this year is my straps and my, my waist belt. Like do those end up stinking? Eventually. Yeah. yeah. Um, my, like mine have never been like too, too bad, even after some grueling hunts. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like if, if you give them some time to air out, they generally seem okay. Usually what it is, is like the fabric on the load shelf side of your frame and the fabric on the, the load shelf side of your bag. Yeah. That gets a little nasty. It gets gross in there. Yeah. Yeah, it can. Um, but yeah, I don't think to date that I've ever washed a pack. I may have like really? sprayed, sprayed it off with a hose or something, but I have never done like a deep clean and like with soap and warm water and cleaned the pack. So interesting. All right. I see. I was, I was, was wondering, cause I went like all out cause I had, I think the smell came from a coyote that I shot. Oh, well that's a different story. It was gross, man. It, I must, I put it in the water, but it's it, something just stunk and it got on my tree saddle. Like, uh, and it was just like, it was rank. It was bad, bad smell. Yeah. All, all those predators seem to have a, a unique smell that sticks very nicely to a pack. Yeah. If is that carry, really, I didn't know that. Yeah. Huh. Uh, we carry mountain lions sometimes in our pack. Right. And they stink. Yeah. Wolves smell terrible. It's like, those, yeah, those kinds of critters. Yeah. I could see your pack being due up for washing, but like, yeah. I don't know, like uh, when you cut up a deer or an elk, like there's some blood involved. Right. But it's not like this bloody massacre. No. You know? And if you get them in a game bag, the game bag absorbs most of that blood. Um, so I, I haven't had too many problems with it, but again, like if your pack smells a little bit, so does your breath. Like exactly. You, What's the difference really? Yeah. yeah. You're never going to avoid it entirely. Interesting. Well, the, the game bag saved me 
I'm convinced. So we went on this hunt in this little island out in Lake Michigan. I've told this story before on the podcast, but uh, go in, you hear like ticks are like this huge thing. Like they're everywhere and they're high, high rate of uh, Lyme disease on yep. the island. So I'm like, oh, great. You know, so I load up in permethrin, like head to toe, like soak my stuff in permethrin. Uh, go hunting. I had, we didn't have a problem. I was, I was in a teepee, floorless teepee the whole time. You know, I tried to actually, we camp, camped on a path way out in the, just because I figured probably less likely to have a, a tick. So go out, I end up shooting this, this buck, uh, get him packed up, you know, throw uh, his stuff in game bags and I'm hanging and I throw his head out. We keep hunting, right? Um, on the way back, I, I, I like, we, we walk out, it's dark. You know, we finally make it to the ferry who's taking us back and I'm throwing the stuff in the truck and I look at his head and its head is just covered and you know full ticks you know they almost look like a little thumb when they're like that that skin color yeah but my game bags were full of ticks that they had just somehow been in there and i was thinking like the whole time i'm like i'm walking and they're just right on my back and i'm not even realizing you know i I have like chills going down my spine right now thinking about ticks oh i hate those little things i know they they really and they they weren't such a big deal out here um, even growing up, I was always in the woods and never had a tick until maybe last eight, nine, 10 years, they just came out of nowhere. So I'd go turkey hunting and all of a sudden I'm full of ticks. Like what the heck? Oh yeah. I blame global warming. Is that a, is that what you blame it on? Is that how that works? Uh, I, don't know. I don't know. I don't know what you blame it on. Everybody blames global warming on everything. So, uh, yeah, yeah. It seems to be a pretty good scapegoat these days. So, well, Hey, um, we're coming up on time. Um, I, I appreciate you coming on just to, to chat, tell, tell everybody a little bit about who you are, uh, what you do uh, for people who want to learn more. Uh, one, one thing I will recommend for people that are looking to go West. A lot of our listeners are in the Midwest, uh, great lakes region. Um, Stone Glacier has great pack dump videos. Mm-hmm. And actually, Andrew, I've seen one, I've watched yours and I've used it uh, to kind of guide uh, my experience and, and what decisions I make for what I have to pack. But so yeah. for people who want to learn more about Stone Glacier, you follow the things you're doing, where, where should they check you out? Um, probably the Stone Glacier Instagram or my personal Instagram, which is Andrew underscore Whitney, I think. Straightforward. Yeah. Um, or yeah, if you if you go peruse on Stone Glacier, you should probably be able to find me pretty easily. But yeah, uh, I'm easy to find. I'm open to answering questions, right? Like I want people to be successful. Um, so yeah, if, 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 uh, if anybody feels like I can be a resource to them, reach out, whether it's a pack question or an archery question or a rifle question. And if I don't know it, I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know. I won't, I won't lead you astray, but, um, yeah, if, if you feel like I'm a valuable resource, reach out, check them out. Cool, man. Thank you very much. Yep. You bet. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Hey everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode. We really do appreciate it. If you want to go on to any kind of social media platform, give us a like, share, subscribe. You know, it really helps us out. Keeps the train rolling. And if you guys really like what you're listening here, give us a five-star Either way, if, even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like review. it, five stars. That'd helps cool. everyone out. We'll see you out there.